We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Hello and welcome, everyone. Um, we are so excited to spend the next hour with you and checking in on school climate. All right. Um, so sneak peek um, at our wonderful panelists uh, today. I'm very interested excited to introduce you to them in a second here, but here's our sneak peek. Um, so Tripod Education, who is a Scolaris learning company. Um, Scolaris is a portfolio of education companies. Um, Tripod, as you will see, um, is a company that works with educators worldwide to deliver surveys and analytics for students, teachers, family perspectives, uh, facilitating better decision-making and professional development. So I am going to be your district's resource or school's resource. If you're interested in learning more, you're interested in how um, our work might apply for you in your context, please reach out to me. My name is Kristen Howell. You can email me. Um, I'll drop my email address in the chat or use the QR code also in the chat um, for more information for the presentation and any questions that we can answer any way that um, you can uh, want to work with us in the future. Okay, I promise business is out of the way here and I can pass it over to um, our panelists here. I'm going to pass the mic over to Byron. Byron Adams is the vice president of Tripod. He works with educators worldwide to deliver surveys and analytics. Um, Byron, I'm gonna pass it over to you to introduce our other panelists and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, thank you so much, Kristen. I really appreciate it. And thank you to the audience for joining us. Um, uh, thrilled to introduce our panel of uh, education leaders. Um, you know, first we'll be joined uh, by Mike Fournier, and uh, he's the superintendent of Bedford School District in New Hampshire. Um, so really happy to have Mike um, here with us on our panel. Uh, Victor Cota is the director of equity and inclusion at St. Margaret's Episcopal School in California. Um, so really thrilled to have our uh, panel of uh, both leaders in education and also tripod partners uh, to join us today. Um, all right, so would love to kind of go through our agenda and you know give you an idea of what we'll be talking about today. This is one of the topics that for me and our panel and for our entire uh, organization is a topic that um, is very close to our heart and the support that we provide to schools. And so I just want to give an overview of how we'll be discussing this topic of school climate. I will start with an overview first of, uh, you know, the topic and some of the, um, you know, education and thought leadership that um, Tripod has brought into this area. And then we'll get into our community voices section. That's where I'll invite uh, both Mike and Victor to uh, have a discussion of some of the key topics in uh, school climate as it relates to their schools and districts. Um, some of the data that, you know, have come in from, uh, both Tripod and others um, who, who take measurement and accounting of this topic in schools around the country. Uh, and then we want to open it up to a uh, question and answer to bring your voices as the audience in uh, so we can engage in a bit of, of uh, dialogue on this topic. So that will be our agenda for today. Uh, one of the reasons why we are here and the timing for this is October is National Bullying Prevention Month. And uh, you know, as aware as an initiative to build awareness around uh, this subject, um, 
bullying is a significant concern for all our schools and uh, addressing it is more important than ever. Uh, we have some strategies to support with that. We know you all in the audience are are also supporting your schools and districts with um, with this topic as well. So uh, more important now than ever, um, you know, raising awareness around school bullying, reducing it, and uh, also talking through strategies on how we can uh, improve experience for all of our students in schools is um, is really key. So I uh, wanted to highlight this and and just state that it is part of our um, focus for this month and part of the reason why we're having this conversation today as well. So for uh, when it comes to Tripod's position, I want to take a closer look at some of the critical components that make up school climate. And understanding these topics and um, having measurements associated with them is essential for driving positive change. So you think of a school, I'm a former school administrator and district administrator. Um, so I've kind of worked in uh, these in a complex ecosystem that many of you are in right now. Uh, and you know in your role, each of these elements plays a crucial role in establishing uh, and improving outcomes for students. So we start with four of these subjects. Environmental quality is the first, you know, we look at that, that really talks to and speaks to the physical environment of a school, the facilities and the uh, overall atmosphere of a building. So uh, really thinking about questions and ways to measure um, that environment um, can have a significant influence on the learning experience for students. School safety is paramount in any institution, especially in schools. Uh, it really, uh, this topic for tripod encompasses not only physical safety, but emotional safety. And so uh, as you think about this subject and uh, creating safe spaces for students and staff is, uh, as you know, we all agree on this, is a, fundament is a fundamental goal. Uh, the next topic would be instructional effectiveness, and that's uh, one of the other areas of our focus on the school climate subject. That means that effective teaching and learning are at the heart of um, what schools and districts are doing. That aspect of uh, this topic really looks at how curriculum is delivered, um, when students are engaged, how engaged are they, and whether teachers have necessary resources to um, succeed in, in their role. And finally, last but not least, um, school-based relationships and structure. Uh, lots of research from both Tripod and other uh, organizations around the country has shown that relationships between students and teachers and families uh, plays a pivotal role in shaping school climate. And uh, we know that the structure and organizations of schools really contribute to the overall experience. And so all these four, these four subjects and you know many others that aren't listed here are critical components to giving us a roadmap for improving school climate. And uh, one of the things that we'll get into in our conversation is, you know, tangible, specific things that um, school leaders are doing uh, to address each of these areas. Now, you may be wondering, you know, why, why would we collect school climate data? We'll go through some examples of the type of data that um, schools and districts are collecting, but uh, these are some key questions to ask yourself in your role. If you're at, if you're thinking about the people in your community, uh, what would they say about their experience in, in your school? How would you also use uh, that data uh, administration after administration? So if you're thinking about this, collecting it multiple times a year or uh, comparing year to year based on the uh, actions that you're taking at your school or district, 
Uh, how would you use that data? And so we'll, we'll kind of discuss some of those questions from the panel as well. Thinking about and taking stock of what that process looks like right now, how you're collecting some of that data, and then what would it take to make that uh, climate work feel successful after um, you've collected some data and then uh, decided on a few actions that uh, you'll, you'll take as a result of the data collection process. Now, here are some examples of uh, climate data. We know that, um, you know, when we look at uh, different types of initiatives in districts are really two main uh, examples of the type of data. The quantitative data that comes in uh, related to school climate, we're thinking about things like community sur survey data, uh, operational data, so grades and attendance, uh, discipline data. Those are quantitative examples. You may have that stored in your SIS or other systems around your district uh, that help to really keep all of this in one place so you can I'll refer to it when um, when you're taking action, planning action. Then there's qualitative examples as well, things like focus groups with your community and classroom observations and many other uh, examples of these. But wanted to give a few of those different um, types of data just to give and ground us in what this looks like uh, tangibly uh, on the ground. Now, you know, with that intro, I would love to start our conversation uh, at the panel. So. Uh, bringing in both Victor and Mike, uh, who are representing two different contexts of uh, school and district uh, and different perspectives in their roles. So, uh, Victor and Mike, I really appreciate you both for joining. And, and I'll start off with uh, this first question. What role does data collection play in the school climate improvement process in your school or district? I'll refer, that, I'll refer um, to Victor first for this question to start our conversation. Sure. Hi, everybody. Uh, it's morning on the West Coast, but I know it's not morning for all of you. I'm, I'm Victor Cota. I'm the Director of Equity Inclusion, and Inclusion at St. Margaret's Episcopal. So uh, just by way of context, we're a preschool through 12 uh, school in San Juan Capistrano, like South Orange County, California. Um, 1,250 students um, in, in a day school, independent school. Um, and so I kind of just to orient a little bit in terms of uh, who we are and, and who we're serving. Um, I was a middle school math teacher, a middle school principal in at the Yes Prep Public Schools in Houston, Texas. So had that experience in the public charter school system um, and then came over this way uh, in 2015. So um, I, I can for me, the starting point um, in terms of how we how we orient um, data collection and our approach to data um, is, is starting with our mission, our core values and being laser focused on that. Um, you know, with, for us as a school, in this case, we're talking about a, a singular, you know, one, one, one school. Um, we have to know what we're aiming to be before we know what we're aiming to measure. And so um, starting with that mission, with those core values and, and from the beginning saying, if this is who we um, say we are, then th that's the starting point for what we're going to measure. Um, you know, I've been in different environments and seen, seen data collection and, and um, data analysis go different ways. Um, when I've seen it not go so well is when we start kind of throwing darts at at data collection um, and losing sight of the why or the core for for that that data. Um, and so one thing that we really try to hold true to is to ensure that um, we we know our mission, we know our values, and that any sort of data collection, you know, whether it's facilities, whether it's school climate and on, um, is centered on on those things, on the mission core values. And so. Um, more recently, and probably more what I'll share about in, in um, 
the context of this conversation is that we've um, utilized Tripod 7C survey as an instructional survey. Um, our mission talks about the hearts and minds of young people, um, our core value of core values of character, community, high expectations, balance and breadth. And so the 7C survey, right, like goes hand in hand with that, that mission language, those core values. Um, and then in 2019, uh, we adopted equity and inclusion as a core value, as a fifth core value for our school. It had been decades since we had adopted a, a new core value, worked with our board of trustees and, and our um, school administrators, adopted equity and inclusion. We said, okay, if we say equity and inclusion is now core, you know, it's critical to who we are as an, as an institution, how are we going to measure that? And so we went through a, a year-long um exploration of tools and kind of circled back to the truck to tripods dei survey why because of equity inclusion is core to who we are at any given point if someone says well how's it going we need to have a, an answer to that and so um that, that that's my i think my starting point now as we get deeper into the conversation i can share some concrete examples um but the um the key for us is to understand like who do we say we are and are we sure that any tools that we're using in different elements of the school or, or school administration point toward that mission, point toward that, those core values at all given times? Thank you so much for that, Victor. That that resonates really strongly with my experience, too, of uh, as a former administrator, thinking about the alignment between uh, the measures and the mission and vision of, of our, our school. Uh, one of the things that what, you know, in my practice, we try to get, um, you know, have a flexibility for is both building in those aligned systems of data measurement uh, and aligning it with our core values and mission, uh, but also having some flexibility in there, given that there's a lot of unpredictable things that happen in schools, right? And so sometimes there needs to be uh, follow-up uh, things that you didn't have planned over the course of the year as, uh, you know, we can get into some of those surprises that come up. Um, over the course of the year, but having the flexibility to do both is is really key. Uh, Mike, I'll I'll point that question to you for for Bedford, uh, how you all approach that in your district. Great. Well, uh, thank you, Byron and Victor, for uh, having me on. Um, uh, I'm from Bedford, New Hampshire, and so uh, welcome to everyone who is here, particularly those I saw some people from New Hampshire and some from Ohio. I married a Buckeye, so um, I'm kind of part Buckeye. Uh, so in Bedford, we are um, a pre-K through 12 school district, a traditional public school district, uh, socioeconomically, middle to upper middle class, um, pretty high performing school district, uh, really high parent expectations, uh, have not been immune to what's been happening in the public sector and schools for the past four or five years. So we're accustomed to what's going on. Um, I will say that school districts, in my experience, we are... Um, data rich and information poor. So lots and lots of data, and sometimes it's hard to wrap your mind around it. So this parallels what Victor said a little bit. You sort of need to know what you want to learn. What do you want to find out? Um, because you have so much information available to you. Um, so we've partnered with Tripod for over uh, probably between eight and 10 years. And so we actually use three of their surveys. We use the seven C's survey uh, which is for students to be able to provide feedback to teachers. And in Bedford, we do that in a non-evaluative way. So there's no evaluation tied to that. It's just feedback for students to give their teachers around things like collaboration, communication, creativity, critical thinking, character, uh, um, uh, 
citizenship and, and um, different ways that they interact with their teacher. That gives the teacher feedback as to how they can improve or and what's resonating with the kids that are sitting right in front of them. It's the best type of feedback for teachers. Um, so that we have been doing for a while. Uh, we also do what's called a parent pulse survey, which for us for the past several years, we have a weekly survey goes to a group of parents um, that each week we ask them a similar set of questions over some strategic goals we have. So in Bedford, we set strategic goals for our district and sometimes they're not always measurable and you need to find ways to get a sense of, are you achieving what your, your strategies are set out to do? And so for us, uh, at the end of the year, we take a look at those and we just get a sense of where are we on the target? Did we hit the mark? Are we off the mark? Uh, and sometimes we find out um, new information from that. So for example, this year in one of our Pulse surveys, we realized that our parents said something that you as educators probably already know, but they're like, you know, post pandemic, our kids are having a really hard time concentrating on homework at home. And that's a real problem for us as families. So the district, we're responding to that by finding ways to help incorporate strategies, resources, and mechanisms for families to help uh, their kids at home and then us at school to teach some of those um, those skills in the classroom. And then lastly, we also give a teacher survey, which allows teachers sort of agency and voice to uh, provide information on how the schools are run and how their buildings run and how the districts run. And it gives us feedback as to areas of strength, areas of weakness. Um, and again, it's all very collaborative, um, but you sort of need to know what it is you're after. And sometimes you don't know that until you sort of uh, throw the net out and see what you catch. Um, and you sort of have a sense of what's out there and what's in your district, what's working and what's not. And then you sort of have to pinpoint and narrow down what you're looking for. And when you do that, and you do that in an unbiased, non-judgmental way, it can be a really powerful catalyst for change. And that is particularly true when you have students who have the opportunity to provide feedback to their teachers, which admittedly, teachers don't love right away. Um, they really struggled with that at first. And so we sort of walk through who are the people that have the front row seat to your instruction every single day? And then how do you disregard the outliers of the data and sort of look for central themes? And so it has been super, super helpful for us to go through that. And I think um, those uh, members of the faculty, myself and the leadership team that sort of take a look at this have learned a lot and it's been really helpful. That's great. Thank you both for sharing some insight on that, on that question. Uh, I want to advance this to the next um, state uh, or the next question here, which is, you know, I've, and we, we've already kind of gotten into this, this, um, topic, but how schools can effectively listen to students, staff, and families. And, you know, we think about school climate um, and some of the other topics we've talked about today. Um, they're, you know, these, these topics are incredibly important. Um, they're important to establishing um, some baseline, um, you know, data for districts, kind of to Mike's point of you have this goal, you have this North Star, how do you know that you're on your way and um, that you're making the right progress. Uh, so having some measurable targets around that. But I mean, this, the, you know, when you're listening to um, your stakeholders, you also need to, you know, make sure that um, you're taking action on, on um, their feedback. And so I wanted to uh, open that up for our conversation on some tips that, and, and methods that you all have um, developed after years of 
uh, listening to student staff and families and how to make that process effective. Yeah, I can, I'm looking at some notes here, so you'll see me kind of reading a little bit. I, you know, I don't have some very concrete things. I think um, there's a few that come to mind, and then I've got a story or a specific example I can share. Um, ensuring that we find, this is kind of DEI practitioner language, but finding the yes and uh, between stories, the qualitative and, and the quantitative data. Um, what I have found, and especially in the DEI practitioner world, people who do my job in school districts or schools, um, is that there's sometimes this tension around quantitative data. Like if, if we focus too much on the numbers and the data points, then we're going to lose sight of the stories. We're going to lose sight of the, of, of the, the lived experience. Um, and what I really push for here in our school and, and in other spaces where I can share is to find that yes and to be able to allow ourselves to say we can hold both the stories and the, the lived experience, especially when there's pain in those stories. Um, we can hold those stories in truth and we can be um, have you know a quantitative approach, systematic data collection. Um, and in fact, when done well, those can feed each other. Um, if we're hearing stories, you know, sometimes as a school administrator, I'll walk through, you know, float through the school and what will happen is I'll hear a story and I go, that's true for that person. That person's really experiencing that pain, that hurt, whatever it might be, or the joy too, but especially when there's, when there's you know, challenges and I, and I have to ask myself, okay, is that that individual's experience or is that part of a bigger picture? And I won't know right away. I have to be careful to check myself um, to understand, like, I'm not really sure, but I can, but we need to go find out. Right. And so, um, Allowing ourselves as a starting point to say, I got to allow for the yes and between the qualitative and the quantitative um, is really critical um, to, to say, OK, when I'm hearing those narratives, I can then go seek out the quantitative to see if there's trends to see if it holds true um, in a larger data set or year over year and whatnot. Um, I certainly think so. That's one, finding the yes and two, applying an equity lens is critical. Whose voices are being heard? Whose are not? Um, why and then what, right? And so sometimes um, what I've seen is we'll float out a survey and we say, okay, well, here's here are the data that we got back. And it's interesting when we unpack it, we say, well, we, we need to understand specifically who's answering this survey or this, you know, whose who's voice is being heard or not heard. Um, so I think about us as an independent school. Um, if we put out a survey in our Friday email that goes out in English, um, our our, particularly for our school environment, our Spanish and Mandarin speaking community pro might not access it, at least not the same way. And then layer on top of that, that we have, an, a, you know, our, our kids on financial aid whose families are blue collar workers, like even less likelihood that they're, so, you know, the equity lens really important. How are we going to make sure we're getting the voices heard that may not be heard? Um, that's really critical for effectively listening to, to those stories. Um, I think when we're when we're engaged in data collection, we have to allow ourselves to ask for demographic information. It's really uncomfortable. It takes a little while for us to like get there to say, are we going to really ask about like race and sexual orientation and whatnot? It's like, well, if we're not, then we're going to get aggregate data. We're going to see a whole big picture and we're not going to understand how it's working across groups. And so to, to ask demographic information as uncomfortable as it, it takes a little while, it takes a year or two for people to kind of shake that out or graduate, graduate that out. And then eventually be like, okay, this is just what we do. Um, so that we can slice the data across groups. Um, so, you know, so the example I'll give is um, with this tripod DEI survey, it's a school climate survey at its core. I feel like I, this is a student survey. I feel like I belong at the school. I feel like I'm valued at the school. Those kind of questions, right? Which is not, none of that's mind blowing. Um, and so we give that in this case it's to our high school. We just adopted it for our middle school last year, but for our high school, we say our upper school. And we went in with some theories. I went in with some theories about which groups we were going to hear from and not hear from. 
And so my theory is that our low income kind of first gen population, we would see a gap with them, our LGBTQ plus population, our black and African-American group, our Asian, Asian-American API group. Um, and when the data came back, some of that held true and some of that didn't. Um, yes, true, we saw a gap with our low income first gen. Yes, we saw a gap with our LGBTQ. Yes, we saw a gap with our black and African-American students. No, we did not see it with our AAPI group. And we saw a brand new um, gap or brand new to me are kids with learning differences, learning disabilities that I was completely blind to. And I, I, we really weren't paying the kind of attention we needed to, which is another beauty or benefit. I have my own bias. I work through the school or we, the administrators, work through the school and we see what we see, but we don't know what we don't see, of course, just right. <laughs> like by definition, we don't know what we don't see. And so when that shows up, we go, oh, um, and so this specifically, we had to say, okay, well, those are the groups. And then what we did is, well, we have quantitative data. We say, I feel like I belong. Our low-income first-gen students are showing us quantitative data that there's a lower, they're having a less, a lower sense of belonging at the school. Well, what do we do about that? We need to go talk to them. We need to understand why. I mean, it's just so we, just knowing that there's a gap there isn't all that helpful. It just tells us, you know, in this case, something's confirming something we knew. Um, and so then we went into a design thinking process. We said, okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to go talk to those kids. We're going to go spend time in, we're going to train up a group of interviewers and we're going to walk through a, a, a you know, kind of D school, Stanford D school design thinking process to un better understand the, the lived experience of those kids. And we narrowed in on the, on um, this first gen low income population um, as a starting point. Um, and we said, here are the questions. I mean, we told them, here are the, here are the data. Uh, tell us more about that. To you, what does it mean to belong at a school? When do you feel like you belong? When don't you feel like you belong? And that took work. I mean, we had to, we had to invest resources, people resources into, well, obviously there's the monetary resource into the tripod tool. And then there's the people resources into like digging deep into the story to say, okay, now we have the hard data. Let's go find the soft data or the qual, you know, the qualitative and hear the stories. And so we went through this loop in the spring. And then now in the fall, we found three trends that the academic transition was hard when students came here, the social transition and that the adult adult education. They were like the adults don't understand what it's like to be to come from a low income home, essentially. Um, and so we attacked all those three things and we put summer programming in for the academic transition. We just launched a peer mentor program for the um, social transition. And we're going through a series of adult education workshops to say specifically, we just did this a couple of weeks ago. Let's talk about the experience of the kids who are from low income backgrounds and what life is like for them. In this case, out of 40K a year private school. I know that's not all of your experiences, but, but the, I, the point is when we understand, when we see the data and we see a gap and say, let's go dig into it and like drill, 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 drill down, hear the story and we can better understand. Then we can go through loops. What we're going to do in the spring when we give the survey again and say, did that make any difference, right? We're going to have to check that year over year and that's going to tell us something. So I think the effectively listening is allowing for that yes and, and then drilling way down into um, the data that we find to, to, to figure out what to do about it. Thank you so much, Victor. I love those examples and uh, really bringing us into your experience and totally hear you when you, uh, you kind of lay out your um, focus on collecting that data. Then, I mean, you're really describing the actions that you all took to follow up on the feedback that you're hearing. Uh, the other thing that resonates with me is, Really wanting to dive in to see when you're when you're hearing um, feedback, really understanding where it's coming from, and 
you know, kind of digging deeper than the question to, you know, how each member of your community is grappling with each component of, of school climate, whether it's positive or negative. So really appreciate you sharing those examples. Uh, Mike, I'd love to invite you in on some strategies that work in your district or that you've uh, implemented in your district to uh, really effectively listen to to your community. So first of all, I, I agree with everything Victor said, I may say in a different way. Um, so high level, when you uh, receive feedback from people, it's really important to share that feedback back, uh, back with them, to show them what they said. And then to be able to indicate to them, this is our interpretation of what we've heard from you, and this is what we intend to do. Uh, and then that, um, I think, one, is really affirming for the stakeholders that took the time to give you feedback. It also allows them to understand how you're interpreting that feedback and what you intend to do about it. It also opens up the dialogue that if you may have um, stakeholders that interpret the question differently or see the results a little differently, uh, they realize that you're open to that dialogue with them. Uh, so, for example, um, one of the things we did uh, uh, the past couple of years is we've talked to families about their, um, you know, how happy are you with your schools? Well, um, fortunately, uh, we have really high marks from families about how our school's doing. Does your school communicate well? Like really high scores across the board. Now, that's not to say that we don't get complaints um, because, of course, we do but high scores. So then we asked ourselves, well, well, how does that apply to, to families with students that are on individual ed education plans? Or how does that apply to our English language learners? Or how does that apply to students maybe on a 504 plan? So the next year we disaggregated those and we said, hey, we're going to ask you in subgroups. You don't have to participate this way, but if you'd like to, you can. So we did that. We disaggregated the results and um, we were very happy to find out that across all those subcategories, um, by and large, people felt the same way. And so that was really affirming to the kind of work that we were doing. Right now, and this is probably true in most districts across the nation, attracting and retaining quality employees, really hard, right? Um, and so we recognize that. And so one of the things we're working on for strategic actions are things like how to incorporate um, empathetic leadership, how to help teachers um, and employees feel like they can be decision makers and have agency in their own roles. Is there ability for them to um, move up in their um, within and have leadership within their districts? So we are providing opportunities to the staff this year. We are telling them we are trying to do that. And then this year ask them, have we done that? Did we meet that goal? Do you feel like those things are in place and open up that line of dialogue? It can sometimes be messy, but if you can do what you say you're going to do and they can see it, it builds trust and it also just creates this synergy of being able to move things forward down the court. Thank you both so much for your reflections. And uh, so I wanted to advance our conversation into uh, you know, a similar topic on uh, school climate and wanted to also root us in some of the data that has come out uh, following the pandemic and things that Mike and Victor both referred to um, as driving some of their action. Uh, you know, we know that during the pandemic, uh, there was a report that came out from NCES that uh, 87% of public schools reported that 
the pandemic negatively impacted um, student social emotional learning in 2022. And we know that um, student social emotional learning and uh, well-being are all critical. They're related to school climate. They drive experience of students um, and their personal relationships with each other and their, their teachers, um, their ability to learn in the classroom. And so I wanted to pose that question to you both of how you're, how you're centering objectives like student social emotional learning needs and mental health and how you're thinking about that in the context of school climate. So um, I am talking from a public school perspective and in some circles, SEL is a bad word. And so um, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, what you call it is less important than what you do. And so, um, you know, for us, we really try to get around things like um, student self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, responsible decision making. So we have clearly found that um, anxiety is up, depression is up, social anxiety is up, school avoidance is up, absenteeism is up. Um, and I, I do think some of it comes from the pandemic. I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if all of it does, but that's certainly an issue. One needs to be in the classroom for 20 minutes to see that SEL is integral to teaching. And so for us, it's really at the forefront of what we do because it's almost like what's the foundation that you need to lay down in your classroom in order for the students to access the academics that you have for them. So it's as simple as um, a child comes into the classroom and had an adverse experience that morning with a pet or with a grandparent or a death in the family. And, you know, we would refer to our response to that as maybe trauma informed or um, maybe a little SEL if you're with a responsive classroom, uh, maybe morning meeting, talking about supporting each other. And so teachers, I think, um, naturally understand what kids need to meet their sort of social and emotional uh, wants and needs so that when it comes time to be teaching them reading, writing, math, um, history, that they're in a place where they feel safe, they feel um, accepted, and they feel like they're in a position to be able to do that. Because kids, unlike adults, we hopefully can leave our baggage at the door and walk in and do our jobs, some better than others. Um, but kids haven't developed that skill. They're still developing. And that's what they need help from moms and dads. They need help from teachers. And so I think it's I think it's always been critical to education. I think it's been happening for decades. Um, I think we are now calling it out. Um, sadly, uh, there are groups that think it's something that it's not. And so we have to be mindful about how we discuss it, uh, particularly in the public setting, I found. Um, but it's very, very important to our kids. Glad you went first. That was that was that was wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I, what what I'd add to that, I, you know, I think um, if we're gonna if we're talking about how do we center student needs, mental health, you know, I think as we would do. I was a math teacher. You know, if I'm if I was working toward toward um, student, you know, the biggest picture learning, I would kind of build backwards from what I you know where I was trying to get with with students. You know, I think our, our understanding of um, especially mental health. Uh, in the school setting, it's critical that we're having the conversation regularly enough, including with the students and the families. Um, I find that the educators, the, the 
the teachers, especially, but the educators, we're having a conversation all the time. It's it's the conversation in the in the lounge or whatever, you know, like oh gosh, you know, no, it's my son. No, it doesn't seem like he's okay today, um, or whatever it might be. And and it's like yes, and we we have to be having that conversation all the time with the youngest kids all the way through the oldest kids. That can look like curriculum if if that's right for an, for um, a school environment, um, and you know whatever approach. An institution is adopting to ensure that it's regularly in the conversation, uh, which important that's most important in and of itself. But also, then if we're measuring it later and we say, like, um, you know, I feel like I belong at the school, I feel safe at school. That's one of our questions on our tool. Well, we have to. The kids won't know what that means unless we spend time talking about it all the time. Sometimes we're like, you know, we get a, you get survey data back or, or something like that, and you're like, well, I don't know if they knew what they what the question meant. It's like. That's on us, not on them, right? And so they didn't know what the question meant because we didn't build that understanding over time. Um, the other piece I would add here is to ensure that we're activating um, the right, the constituency groups that, that we're talking about. If We can't be afraid of their voices, I guess, is the key here. Um, sometimes we're, we're making plans. I, and I've been guilty of this. We're making plans in a room somewhere, the, you know, the board room or the, the, the school, the principal's team or whatever it might be. And it's like, well, we, we have to activate the voices that we are, the, who, the, the people we're serving, right? And that's a little scarier because it's messier. Um, and so, uh, you know, to, to get down on the ground level and to say, we're going to hear from the groups. Um, we can manage expectation and say, hey, we want to hear from you about what you're experiencing. Parents, fourth graders, 18-year-olds, whatever it might be, want to hear from you. And we may not be able to do everything you share, but we, we, we want to make sure you're part of the discussion. That's critical, right? We can say, well, we're trying to serve your needs. We're not going to ask what your needs are. Um, you know, the, an example I can think of is it only this is our third school year. So this is our, our, thir- this is our third school year with affinity groups. Affinity groups are um, spaces where students from a common experience or common identity get together to have conversation, discussion about that lived experience. Um, some of them are race based affinity groups. Some of them are, are along other um, identity markers. Um, and so what we understand is that when you when we've created those spaces, um, it's wonderful for community sense of belonging. It also means that the, the, the kids are going to get together and they're going to talk about the real experiences with a trained facilitator. Um, they're going to get together and have a real conversation about it. And they may want to activate and they may say, okay, well, you're having that experience. I'm having that experience. What are we going to do about it? And we have to allow for that, right? Like we can't say we want to hear from you, but then we don't like really want to hear from you, you know, kind of thing. And so it's like, we want to hear from you. It means that when we hear from you, we're going to take into account what you're sharing. Um, just last week, our, there was a, um, a student discourse conversation. All students, they're, they're leading the high school still. Um, they're having a conversation with each other. The, um, and it was a kind of a, a combination of the Jewish affinity group and the Middle Eastern and Desi affinity group. And you know where I'm going with this. Um, they know, they know what's happening in the world. They're aware. And then we got to get into a space and have a conversation because we're not okay right now. But this is a point back to the student needs mental health. We're not, we're bringing something into the classroom. Like you're asking me to like solve, you know, the area under the curve. And like, I want to do that, but my mind's on like what I saw in the news last night or what we're talking about at dinner or, or whatnot. Um, and so, of course, that still needs to happen. School will still continue to move forward. But to say right now, centering kids' needs and mental health looks like they need a space to talk to each other um, and even to have some friction with each other as long as it's healthy and respectful and all that. Um, and so, um, to do that means to, to allow ourselves to like get down to the ground level and hear from them, um, kind of come again, back to combining what we know quantitatively up high and what we're seeing down at the ground level and, and not be afraid of that.
Thank you both so much. And uh, yeah, that, I mean, resonates, uh, especially with um, combining both the, you know, this large topic of school climate and student well-being, and also, you know, the fact that we're taking stock of what's happening in the world and the way that impacts uh, our school experiences as well. Uh, so really love uh, both of your activity and, and the things that you all are taking as actions. Uh, affinity groups that resonates as well. Victor is an effort that I helped to lead in, uh, in my work in um, school when I was a teacher. Um, and so building spaces for students is incredibly important. And one of the things that helps, you know, make it exciting to go to school and, uh, you know, build in the um, part of the experience that kids remember and uh, having to make friends and uh, find things that they have in common and uh, and sometimes butt heads in, a, in ways that is productive and helps them to learn. So I uh, really appreciate that. Uh, you know, I, I think we've already gotten into this topic, which is so great, uh, which is, you know, how do we use the community feedback to impact school climate? Um, I, I wonder if there are any specific things and you, you both have given examples of this, but uh, just diving into things that you've learned uh, by talking to your community and maybe one example of a way that you use that learning to impact uh, the climate in your school and, and in, in your district. Um, and so we'll start start again with with Mike on this one. So um, I don't I don't know if I have a great answer for this, um, but um, I will say that collecting data and knowing how to use it is helpful. Oftentimes in school settings, sometimes the loudest voices seem like the majority. And that is frequently not the case at all. And so, you know, if there's something that's important to get after, if there's something that's important to your district, getting the community involved and engaged in what's happening, sort of defining what it is, asking for input, super helpful. Um, and it really sort of helps to put in perspective the feedback that you're getting. Right. So this is really kind of a silly example, but we, our district's exploring an ROTC program. So we had some pretty loud voices come out and saying, you know, don't militarize our schools, which, of course, is not the purpose of an ROTC program. Um, but we decided to do a survey with families to kind of get a sense of where the community was. And overwhelmingly, 80 percent uh, or more of the families were like, hey, we think this is a great idea. It's going to introduce maybe some discipline, some opportunities for uh, different scientists to be involved in our school. We think it's another opportunity for career exploration. And so that was just really helpful for me, for the high school, for our board members to say, okay, our community is behind this initiative. And, and that could be done in the area of um, academics, um, SEL work, uh, any type of initiatives you have um, in your community. But it sort of goes back to my initial statement, which is you sort of have to know what you're asking and why you're asking it. And you have to be careful too, because you can't like survey your community to death, right? You can't like every question is a community vote. That's not how it works. But there are certain things that you're going to want to sort of check the pulse of what's happening. And, you know, I'm fortunate. I live in the town where I work. Some people would say that's unfortunate, but I, I live here. I've been here 25 years. And so I have a pretty good pulse of what's going on. But sometimes I'm surprised. Uh, because we have diverse opinions and thoughts on things. And so I think that is, um, that's really helpful. Yeah, I, um, the best example that comes to mind with that question is around strategic planning. Um, 
what I've found is that sometimes our least effective strategic plans are those that are created in isolation and you know just kind of turn into a binder or a, a, or, or a net, you know a digital Google Doc or something like that. Um, I, I think to this this for me what's a, a critical theme around data around measurement for school climate is to you know ensuring that we're hearing voices. Um, more most recently, as a school, we've undergone a strategic planning process that engaged our entire community. Um, and to, to, w- w- within like reason, I think that point's important that Mike brought up, you know, like with it, we can't ask everybody for input on everything, right? We ask people for input on the right thing. I think it's really important. Um, what, what are they, what is, what are families most thinking about? What are students most thinking about? What is our board most thinking about? What are our local community partners most thinking about as, you know, as, as an example, right? Like, um, and so, um, and f- for example, for us, those inputs, and there's a, a, an overlap with mental health. Those inputs re- led to a revamp of our schedule. Um, as it turns out, the state of California went here and went in this direction anyway. But a number of years back, um, we went to a, a later start time because we were hearing, you know, from both from families and from kids, like it's hard to start so early. Um, you know, move the start time, went into a, a schedule that was more consistent, and these kind of things that like we know our best practice, but when it wasn't until we were hearing voices that helped us make sense of it all. Um, so I, I think it, finding the most meaningful ways to engage community around, um, in this case, strategic planning was a, 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 a critical one for us. Um, and, and not to mention, because then down the line, like what's what's important is then three years later, you've launched a strategic plan and say, remember when we said, remember when we all said we were going to work on this thing? It's like, yes, I remember that. I was in the room or I was, my voice was accounted for in some way. Because then what happens later is like, according to our strategic plan, we decided that we were, we shared that we were going to be doing this. And we were like, I don't remember that. Like, what are you talking about? When did that happen? Right. And so, um, and it's not malicious. They're just like, I don't, I really don't remember that because I, I wasn't part of this. And also, I guess you're telling me it's important, but at that point, then there's a you know power dynamic like someone from up top is telling me what to do and as a school administrator it's like i i want this to be something we developed together you know we got inputs together and then we shaped you know then then got the right team together to shape so um you know i think that's that's that kind of planning at that high level allows us to then get all the inputs and, and design accordingly thank you both i i really appreciate your reflections on that question and i think to wrap our our panel conversation up and our discussion here before we get into the Q&A. I wanted to uh, share some overall data that uh, Rand Corporation actually collected um, in a poll to teachers uh, last year. And they they really wanted to get a sense from teachers and educators of, you know, the top school safety issues, you know, obviously weighing in on school climate um, and that, that concerned educators the most. And Looking at it at each grade level, uh, one of the most common trends that they noticed uh, that they you know got in the in the survey responses was this uh, really focus uh, focus on bullying. Um, and we uh, you know we look at the other categories here. Uh, there are other you know common um, concerns that teachers have expressed and. Um, Things like uh, fights and self-harm, uh, active shooting situations and drugs. Uh, but the common trend across uh, all grade levels was bullying. And so, you know, with the focus uh, this month being on uh, bullying for pre- prevention, I wanted to, you know, kind of put that question to you both as, 
you're reflecting on school climate and uh, this kind of example of a data point um, focusing on bullying of your reflections in your school context of uh, approaches that you have taken to this, this subject. Uh, Victor, if you could start us there. Yeah, I mean, my, it, as soon as I saw the graphic, my first thought is, I, I want to parse that. I'm like, who and why, right, is what came to right. my mind. It's like, wow, that's, cl that's clear, right? The data are clear, right? There's no, I mean, it's, it's the, the distance between number one and number two is so clear. So then my question immediately goes to, I wonder who that is in a given setting, right? So if I'm, if I'm thinking about our school, I want to know, you know, who's, be, who's being bullied or who's worried about bullying, even if it's, even if, whether it's happening or not, you know, I'm sure with a lot of kids it is, or I guess I was a survey to educator. So they're observing this. They, they're worried about it. They, they hear the comments in the classroom. They hear it in the, you know, out in the quad, whatever it might be. Um, what I want to immediately do is I, I want to um, go after, let me, let me break that down and understand to whom it's happening. Right? Like, like wh what are we worried about? What, who are we worried about? Um, and what can we do about it? And I, I think that it's like get after, like get after deep down. And as a DEI practitioner, my mind's definitely going to go to like those from historically marginalized oppressed identities because th that's what I will. That's where my. That's what we know. <laughs> you know, statistically and over time, we've seen that. Um, but I won't. I, I don't want to jump to that. I'm like, let me understand that better. See where, where, when, how, and then what we can do about it. Uh, so for for us, the. Um... That's not a surprise to me from a macro level. Um, I think from a micro level, we have spent considerable time working on the issue of bullying. We're probably at the tail end of our of our work. We put a number of strategies in place. Um, but for us, what we've noticed recently is there's really a difference between um, substantiated bullying, student conflict, um, and... Um, students just like problem solving, right? And so not bullying is sometimes a catch-all that's used. Um, and so in, at least in New Hampshire, there's a pretty strict definition of what bullying is and what bullying isn't. So I report out every month to the board how many actual bullying investigations we do. And so it's generally for 4,200 students, there's generally not more than one or two for the entire district. Um, that's not to say that there's not student conflict, there's not misbehavior, there's not things where kids do things that they shouldn't do. That happens all the time every day. Um, but I would say for us, what where we have landed is um, I, I, the pendulum is shifting here a little bit where I'm receiving more appeals from substantiated bullying events that kids whose behavior has been determined bullying families are coming back saying hey my kid made a mistake but i'm not sure it really qualifies for bullying can we talk about this again um and so the pendulum's shifting at least where where i am right now thank you both so much um you know i, I think uh this has been such a valuable conversation love the insight from both of your positions and just really appreciate you all sharing your perspectives for the panel today on school climate uh, what I'll do next is uh, I think we'll head into our, our questions and answers. And uh, Kristen, if you can weigh in and let us know what questions the audience has for us. Okay, wonderful. Um, incredible discussion. It was so great to hear your insightful uh, perspectives and, and learn so much from listening um, to the great conversation. We do have some questions from the audience um, unfortunately, we don't have a ton of time, so I'm just going to grab one uh, that, that sticks out that I've heard a lot before. 
Um, this question is from Jane. It's how do you ensure that all community voices are represented when you collect data? What methods do you use to ensure a diverse representation? So thinking about um, that, uh, you know, ability to access for all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think you have to design, when you talk about design for design with an equity lens. So when we're shaping the tool, or when we're shaping the approach, whatever it is, we have to start with equity in mind. Who, how are we going to ensure that all the voices will be heard or, or, or all voices have access to be heard? That's important, right? Not everyone's going to want to say something, but that they could if they wanted to. So it, it specifically work like when we're thinking about our surveys or our tools or, or you know, our strategic planning process I was talking about, um, this design thinking, how do we ensure that we have um, arrows in, out to the different uh, different constituency groups? And that comes, you know, I think about language, I think about time of day, <laughs> you know, like when we're asking the, the, the tool that we're using. Um, and so it, it is important, um, you know, I, I certainly um, think it's important that there are people in the room, wherever the decisions are happening, that there's, there are enough people in the room who are trained up with that equity lens to say, okay, before we go, hit go, are we thinking about this? Because what happens is we'll click, we'll click it, it'll go, and then we're like, oh wait, we we now we should think about who else. It's too late at that point. Like it's not too. It's hard to undo that at that point. So it's got you got to start early on and have enough people asking that question. Who's not going to be represented in this? And like, how are we going to get to them? It takes time. It takes people power. It takes time. It takes you know money, at least salary money, um, to do it that way. But it's it's critical. You have if not, you're just going to get you know one large chunk, you're, you're going to miss some people already. I'm going to save you time, Kristen. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so designing with an equity lens and doing that that pre-work, kind of the equity by design on the forefront so that you have designed then a solution or a strategy to get all those voices. Um, there's some other excellent questions in the chat. Um, unfortunately, we don't have uh, much time uh, but I know that, you know, the discussion was really rich and fruitful. There were so many great insights shared. Again, this is all uh, through Scolaris. Today, we focus on Tripod. We invite you to our next uh, webinar in the fifth, the fifth webinar in our series, uh, which is focusing on our partners at PLC. It's going to be wonderful as well. Um, it's all about beginning teachers. So how to smooth the transition and speed the effectiveness of beginning teachers. What a hot topic. Um, We'll have awesome representation from a number of districts across the country, as well as Penny, our resident expert from PLC, who I saw in the chat there. So please join us for that next webinar um, on November 2nd at 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, And we hope to see you there. So thank you so much again to our panelists, Uh, for sharing your time um, and your perspectives, your journeys, your expertise. We learned so much from you and really appreciate and value you. Again, um, I'm Kristen Howell. I will drop my uh, email. You see it there. It's just kristen at scolaris.com. If anyone has any questions about uh, Tripod, Scolaris, and any of the resources that we shared today, the SEL service, 7Cs, et cetera, I would love to talk more about it. Um, And please take our short survey. So that just got dropped in the chat. Uh, We love your feedback. It helps us to craft these um, sessions and make sure that they are um, really providing value for you all. And and just thank you so much for for your time um, and being with us today. Uh, We hope to see you on our next webinar uh, on November 2nd. All right. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. 
If you would like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.